This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. On the outside, the five of you are villains, predators, remorseless sociopaths, Oh, stop. You're making me blush. We're the bad guys. Ah! And this is the crew. Mr. Snake. Serpentine, safe cracking machine. Imagine Houdini, but with no arms. Jackpot. Yes. Miss Tarantula. Our in-house tech wizard. Where'd you learn to do that? Mostly YouTube. Mr. Piranha. He's brave. Oh, Crazy. What's up, Papa? Ah! And Mr. Shark. Master of disguise. His greatest trick, stealing the Mona Lisa disguise as the Mona Lisa. Rounding out the crew is me, the big bad wolf. We may be bad, but we're so good at it. No! Wolf! If only we were given a chance to be anything more than criminals. If you want to stay out of jail, you need to go good. What are you doing? We're gonna pretend to go good. The bad guys become the good guys so we can stay the bad guys. <laughs> The good guy! We're more than just scary villains. They love us. You're such a good boy. Maybe I don't want to be a... What? A bad guy? No! 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 We'll always be bad guys! Based on the book series by Aaron Blaby, DreamWorks Animation and Universal's crime comedy, The Bad Guys, opens Friday. In this episode of Behind the Screen, we're joined by director Pierre Perifel, editor John Benson, and head of character animation J.P. Sands. At DreamWorks Animation, Perifel's credits include serving as an animator on Kung Fu Panda and Monsters vs. Aliens, and lead character animator and supervising animator on Rise of the Guardians. He also received an Annie Award in character animation for his work on Kung Fu Panda, Secrets of the Furious Five. The Bad Guys marks his feature directorial debut. John Benson's editing credits include Fleshed Away, Storks, The Lego Batman Movie, and The Lego Ninjango Movie. Head of Character Animation J.P. Sands was supervising editor on Trolls World Tour and an animator on titles including Rise of the Guardians, Rio, and Ice Age 3. Pierre and J.P. also directed 2018 animated short Bilby, along with Laurent Topaz. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. Pierre, John, JP, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, man. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. So, Pierre, let's start. This is your your feature directorial debut. Tell us about how the project came together and what attracted you to the material. Yeah, uh, it happened, I think, uh, six years ago. The studio, and Damon Ross in particular, who's the 
the producer of the show uh, actually purchased the rights for the bad guys um, and started a collaboration with Aaron Blaby, who's the author of the books. Uh, and uh, he started writing together. They, they were writing a, a first draft of a script. Uh, Ethan Cohen is the writer. So they started writing that. Uh, and three and a half years ago, which was basically end of 2019, 2018, my bad, uh, 2018, I kind of stumbled upon the cover of the first book that was sitting on Damon's desk uh, and it was such a clean cover you know there was you know those four or five guys uh, scary animals that we all know and they're all terrified of sitting against an orange background kind of a lineup you know that you have in the police booths uh, and but they were all wearing suits uh, and like Blues Brothers style and super reminiscent of, of Tarantino of uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and then you open the first page and the big bad wolf says to the reader, where well, we're going to, I'm going to change and become a good guy. And to me, there was such a clean, big idea there. Uh, something that was so simple and yet incredibly attractive and into which I could really explore a world that I love, you know, like gangsters and, 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 and heist and bank robberies, but cute with animals, you know, anthropomorphized animals. And so it really immediately just got, uh, I got immediately attracted to it um, and did a quick sketch with like, Hey, Damon, look at this. I could do characters like that. It was super, so funny. And, uh, and then gave it to him and he was like, Oh dude, that's great. And then, and then few, but I was working, we were working actually together on another project in the meantime, which project actually stopped for a little bit and allowed me to jump onto bad guys to start developing bad guys. Uh, but just for fun, really. And then what I was developing kind of clicked. Uh, the other project project never happened. Uh, and then kind of, that's where, that's how we kind of started Bad Guys together. When I got a little bit of free time, uh, as I was saying, you know, I started sketching stuff. And, and in the end, I ended up creating a little trailer that John actually cut together. So we were together cutting it. So it was just storyboards. But all of the, since the beginning, it was a lot of... Um, those references, you know, and uh, it was like Tarantino, Gary Ritchie, uh, Soderbergh. Um, those were the main ones at first, you know, but it was the idea of playing within that genre of gangster slash heist films. And so it, uh, the, the, bro the brother Cohen, obviously M Martin Scorsese, uh, there was some Luke Besson in there, there's some Edgar Wright, of course. Uh, so all of those were in there. But if you see the trailer that we cut together, you know, the soundtrack really is Gary Chi and, and for this, for the style, a bit of cowboy bebop. Also, Pierre, I think we, I think you'll remember, we looked to the East, specifically Japan for one of our primary references. Do you, you want to talk about that? Yeah, that, that's, I think that's more the reference that some of the reference or inspiration we used for the animation style and the graphic style, uh, for the story itself and for the, the, where we were going in terms of the world. It was, I think it was, Bit more live action oriented, but you're right. I mean, for the for the for the look of the characters and the style of animation, it's really very much you know inspired by uh, anime and French animation, really. <laughs> yeah, and Lupin the Third, um, Miyazaki's Lupin, Lupin, Lupin the Third. Totally. Yeah, I think I remember Pierre working on the trailer, and he was like, "Hey, check this out! Check what I'm working on!" And it was all these sketches, and he was kind of playing, just kind of toggling through the images and kind of pitching me the trailer. And, you know, I've worked with Pierre for many years now and, and really closely on Bilby. And since then, we're like, we need to do something together again. And when he was working on this, it's like, oh, 
I can see this. I'm in. I am in all the way. And we started talking about the animation styles and we started talking about Lupin and Miyazaki and all these like French animations as well. And we knew that if this was going to move forward, we knew that it was going to be something different. We knew that we were going to work on something that had a different style. And I think that, at least for me, and I think for Pierre as well, it just excited us the most. Because aside from like this live action genre that you were creating, we had this very stylized comic book Japanese animation that we wanted to bring into it. And just that weird combo just made us really excited about the, the project. So um, I'll never forget that day in your office, Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How and it then, started. And, and the many days after that. <laughs> oh. JP, do you want to elaborate on the, um, the style that you created? Yeah. Um, you know, at the beginning, I remember Pierre, you know, Knowing his sensibility and style, we started talking about possibilities of what the style could be. And I think being a brand new movie and new style, it allowed us to, you know, venture wherever direction we wanted to go as, as artists. But at the same time, it was kind of this moving target. You know, we didn't know exactly what we wanted, but we knew we wanted something different. So we started looking for what inspired us and what felt right on this film. And uh, I remember Pierre giving me some Dragon Ball Z graphic comic books at the beginning and he's like take a look at these and read these these are amazing and that style was just so inspiring for the show it was so graphic you know it was so clean as well it's incredibly and appealing. i mean insanely appealing and then we started talking about miyasaki films and then i i, I went to i went back to school it felt like you know i remember pierre's like if you were to give me a list of top 10 movies to watch right now, what would it be? And he's like, pop, 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 pop. And I literally go home and like, all right. And it was, I just felt like I was in college again. And it was so thrilling to be in that, you know, energy again. So as we worked on it, I think we, we wanted to do, we wanted to find inspiration from these amazing filmmakers in the past, but we definitely didn't want to re recreate what they did we wanted to do something unique especially with the genre that pierre uh, was bringing to the table so um there was a lot of french and japanese kind of inspired animation that turned into bad guys you know we wanted to do something very graphic clean and appealing um, but very silly as well um and i think when you watch the movie you'll see that you know it's we don't really take ourselves seriously um uh, but enough for you to laugh with us uh, throughout the film. So we wanted to make sure that, you know, we brought this, I call it like this comic book style in motion, you know, um, and, and that, I think that's where it all came from, really. Well, let's start with the, uh, the beginning of the film. Um, we, we meet Wolf and Snake in a diner, and then we go into a bank robbery, which, um, begins a high-speed car chase really exciting. And we meet all of the characters. Um, John, do you want to talk about cutting that opening? Yeah, you know uh, that was the the great thing uh, about working with Pierre is is the references he put down. I remember the very first day we were in his office and he was telling me about the trailer and you know typically anytime you start a job you're nervous like oh my gosh I hope I get what this director wants from me and Pierre just started naming like out of sight um, but I also wanted to be stupid and kind of crazy like the Blues Brothers but also Miyazaki. And then he started playing the music for me, and it was as if he had looked into my brain and my music <laughs> collection and my movie collection and said, just do this, that thing that you've got right there. So 
So for me, I just immediately went, okay, we're starting the movie. I, you know, I think about Sally Menke's work uh, on Reservoir Dogs and everything after. And then I think about, um, y- you know, Paul Matchless is cutting on on um, on Baby Driver. And so it was like, just as JP said, I just went to school, but it was more like a rereading favorite novels over and over and over again. And we, and the thing that was really interesting uh, is when you cut a car chase typically in animation you uh you kind of think well we're going to do a car chase but it'll be kind of maybe a more toned down version it wasn't the case on this show because uh as soon as we set the rules that our bad guys actually uh had good hearts um the audience we knew the audience could get on board with us doing kind of like robbing a bank like that's that's not typically something you can come back from in a kid's movie when you open the movie with a, with them stealing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But because of the way Pierre was treating the money, uh, they almost didn't care about the money. It was, it was the joy of being together and having a hobby. It just happens to be the hobby they have <laughs> is stealing. As one does. As one does. And they're really good at it. No, but it's, it's, it's true what you were just saying, Jen. It's the, from the beginning, there was that energy that we were looking for. It, it was supposed to be just these two guys exploding out of the window, and just and that's in the in that little trailer that we cut together. But John immediately latched on it, and he knew exactly how what I was looking for. And I think there was like between the three of us here, there was that kind of a immediate connection, immediate uh, understanding of what uh, I was kind of trying to find. In the case of JP, what was not easy is that style of animation we hadn't really explored at the studio before and uh, the teams were not completely trained or versed into that style um because it's again we're more i think the studio has, has, has evolved into something that's first of all more classic traditional type of american style of cg animation but also a lot of a lot of use of the video reference um and i was asking the team to go for much more post-to-post type of illustrative type of animation. So that was for for the team in animation was a little bit of a learning curve, but uh, but but we ended up in a style that is kind of a an interesting, very interesting kind of a mix and blend of what we usually do in this. I definitely remember those conversations, and Pierre and I had multiple conversations during days and weeks, really early on when the characters were being designed of what is the style of this film that we're going to find and can we do it? You know, at the end of the day, you have to figure out, you know, yes, you have a wish list of what you want the movie to look like, but, you know, as you're working in an industry, you have to look at the logistics, you have to look at the timing that you have, you have to look at uh, the team that you have and figure out how can you do it. And what's great, I think, for all of us is that we just figure it out. (laughs) We have the mentality of like, this is what we want. We'll figure it out. We can do it. And that was, I think, our main concern of, like, finding rules, like John was saying before. Find rules of what the this movie is, and especially in animation. What are the rules that make these things work? Because then it's really we had to teach all the animators, including myself, how to do the style. So it was every day, even in dailies and animation, was like uh, it was we were in animation school, you know thousands of drawovers and conversations about spacing and you know a lot of things that you kind of talk in college and now it's like guys we're back in school let's do this and 
there was definitely an energy. There was there was an amazing energy, and not just in the animation department. I think I can speak with every department because we were doing something so brand new and different. And thanks to Pierre, I think you know what what and I and I I told you this Pierre before. I think what makes Pierre a great director is um, he can show you the vision that he's looking for, and he trusts you to find it. But he also lets everybody join in on the decision making and the collaboration. So I think the excitement that each department had was just um, was so infectious. Well, for those who aren't familiar with the material who are listening to the podcast, let's uh, introduce the main characters. Pierre, why don't we start with Wolf, who's voiced by uh, Sam Rockwell? Yeah, voice uh, voiced by Sam Rockwell. Wolf is uh, Wolf is kind of the leader of the gang, so he's the big bad wolf. Uh, but our, our version 2.0 of the Big Bad Wolf, kind of cool, slick, smooth, suave, but also a bit of a goofball. Uh, he's an incredible driver, car driver and pickpocket. Um, and he's kind of the, you know, the mastermind uh, of, of that gang. And his arc really is the one of somebody who changes, you know, as a little bit of midlife crisis kind of situation where these guys have been pitied as bad their whole life. You know, they're, they're like uh, pariahs of society. They, everybody hates them because we write story about them and mostly because we're afraid of them with no really real reason. But then they kind of, well, they accepted their fate a little bit without thinking further. You know, we're hated, therefore we're going to be bad. If everybody wants us to be bad, we're going to be bad. And uh, one day Wolf does something that is by accident, but that is selfless for someone else. Uh, and that person thanks him and he's got an amazing feeling because he just did something good. Uh, and then from then on, it messes him up real bad, real bad Be- being treated with kindness, <laughs> being treated with kindness and, and, and doing something good for someone. And then, and then from then on, he's like, he changes his path and decides to decide that he wanted to give the good life, uh, a shot. Uh, and of course doing that, his best friend, Mr. Snake, in the group who is probably the grumpiest of the grumpier or the grumpier of the grumpiest in that, in that gang. Uh, and, uh, he doesn't really take that well because snakes are, you know, typically treated as monsters because they're out of the whole bunch, probably the scariest of all of them. Uh, and for him, it's like a deep, deep wound and he's got shield of or layers of protection. And so when he sees his best friend going good, it's a betrayal. Anyway, so Snake is played by Mark Maron. He's like incredibly sarcastic, quite grumpy, so funny to watch. Uh, he's a real kind of a python uh, and uh, and uh, with a biting humor. He's a safe cracker, incredible safe cracker, even though he, doesn't have no, he has no fingers, uh, but he can open any safe that he That's wants. That's what makes him so great. He has no That's hands. What exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Miss Tarantula Webbs. Uh, and Tarantula is kind of the, kind of a, Probably younger than the other two. Uh, she's, uh, I always see her as kind of a, you know, late teens kind of character, maybe early 20s. Uh, super, super, she's probably the most intelligent of the whole gang. She's a genius hacker, so a computer hacker, uh, kind of a Gen Z type of character, millennial. And voiced by Aquafina. <laughs> and voiced by Aquafina. And then we have Mr. Shark, who's, both, uh, who's voiced by uh, Craig Robinson. And this guy is like, he's a great white shark. Incredibly scary, but super, super sweet. He's the nicest and the the cuddlest of the of the whole ba- of the whole gang. He's he's, uh, def- he's definitely the lovable giant. The lovable giant with the heart of gold, 
Uh, and he's the master of these guys. He can dress as anything and you would not recognize him, which is incredibly funny, by the way. Uh, in the books, <laughs> we didn't do that. But in the books, actually, he dresses up as whatever he wants. Even his friends don't recognize him. So they see a tree and like, oh my God, a tree. And then he tells, like, it takes out one branch and it's him. And like, oh my God, that's you. <laughs> you scared me. So it, it, su super fun, massive uh, character, you know, kind of, again, kind of a Zen Buddha a little bit. Uh, and then we have the, the, the last one in the gang is uh, Mr. Prana, who's kind of the hot-headed muscle of that gang. He's a... Uh, Super tiny, but like incredibly nervous, very courageous, super dynamic. Doesn't doesn't isn't afraid to actually uh, uh, fight or attack anything or anyone. Um, and uh, he definitely has no filter. He has no filter. It's probably like the most naive one, right? And and kind absolutely of never is always like a little late to understand yeah. things. <laughs> He's always the last one to understand a joke or what's going on in the scene. So throughout the movie, that was really fun to play with from from the animation aspect. And he's voiced by uh, Anthony Ramos. So Anthony being an incredible singer, Mr. Prana actually sings uh, incredibly well. And also has uh, when he's nervous, he tends to uh, have some flatulence. Um, but that's that that interrupts his, his routine a little bit. But that's fun. And you gave him a great musical number to sing. Of course, yes. <laughs> I think we had to, right? We had to. Anthony's being so good at it. I think something that you didn't mention, Pierre, that, that I would love to mention real quick is that family dynamic. You know, at the beginning, That's right. at the beginning, we, we, we were trying to figure out what, what was the dynamic between the characters. You know, uh, we need to figure out not only who they are individually, but how they fit in in the group. You know, how do they see each other? And one of the first things that Pierre was talking about is like, oh, this is like a family. This is a family. And it's like, oh my God. Okay, great. You know, and immediately we saw uh wolf and snake be the mom and dad of the group and then piranha tarantula and shark being the kids you know and you know uh tarantula being the middle child that no, I think she's, the, oldest, she's the, the oldest, oldest the oldest she's the oldest, oldest that doesn't want to babysit the, these the guys, big sister right the big sister that if mom and dad leaves like take care of the kids she'll just be like ah put the headphones in and just ignore everything that's happening uh while shark and piranha are fighting in the back um i think that really clicked I think once we figured that out and once that was the direction, I think there were so many questions answered for us in story and, and animation that um, it was, in a way, great to have that information because it's it just makes sense. I, I, for some reason, it just there was no other way to look at it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. JP, which was the most challenging character for you? Well, there's different challenges that we had. Uh, some animation, some development, you know, personality-wise. Um, I think Wolf at the beginning was one that I was really, cons not concerned, but just really worried about this character supposed to be the slick, very confident, very uh, know-it-all type of character within the gang. And if you're not careful, that could easily turn into somebody that just feels really cocky on screen. And nobody likes that type of attribute on a character. 
So, you know, we looked at George Clooney, you know, and you see George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven, and he has this, like, aura that he's just very cool and slick, but he doesn't feel cocky. And, you know, it's it's like, what what makes that happen? What, you know, there's a balance. And, you know, we had amazing supervisors. Um, you know, Ben Willis was the supervisor on, on Wolf, and uh, he did an amazing job. Him and our acting consultant, Alan Simpson, uh, really helped us really find those attributes to play with. And we ended up with this, like, balance beam that we would play with between a George Clooney-style character and a Marty McFly character, where if he's, if he's in the control and he's planning everything, he is George Clooney. He knows where everything is. He's chill. He's relaxed, always looking at his exits, knowing everything around him. And then when things don't go his way and it surprises him, <laughs> you get rid of... George Clooney, you go right to Marty McFly, and he's just running around, scared. He has no idea what is going. And I think that is that mask that goes away between the George Clooney and Marty McFly that just made him so appealing on screen. Um, so I think, I think for me, personality-wise, probably Wolf was one of the the trickiest ones to nail down because he is that beacon of the group that's going to carry the film emotionally through 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 your 90 minutes. So we needed to make sure we really nailed that character. Um, Snake was another one, but that was more te technology-wise, you know. A snake, we didn't just want to do a snake. We've done snakes in the past at DreamWorks, uh, like Kung Fu Panda, but we, and, and Bilby even. But on this one, we wanted to take advantage of, you know, the 2D aspect of the inspirations that we have. And when you, you know, uh, like Robin Hood and Sir His, like all these amazing characters that these snakes can do so much. And I was like, Pierre, we have such a great opportunity. Like, what if the snake actually moved like a human? What would that look like? You know, so the tail will turn into a leg and then it turn, turn into a hand. And then at the end, we have them playing a guitar and dancing. And I'm like, how are we going to do this? <laughs> and Pierre's like, I don't know, but let's do that. And I had ama an, an amazing team that, like, between rigging and animation and even story, just we all got together and we figured out this, like, you know, technically advanced rig that we can really do anything with. Um, so that was that was really uh, humbling to know the talent that we have around ourselves and, and we were able to achieve what, what we could because of them. So, Yeah, actually, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, the idea of a house style, like DreamWorks kind of has, you see a film and you kind of go, oh, I, I recognize that as, you know, Madagascar, coming from Madagascar or Shrek or, or dragons. But um, because when we started this movie, right as we finished the trailer, we had a regime change at the studio and Margie Cohen uh, took over. And um, she really, like once she saw that Pierre uh, was the right man for the job he was our wolf um she really <laughs> really let us uh be martin mcfly sometimes and george clooney the rest of the time but the thing that was really nice is is that they didn't mandate oh we don't do this kind of joke or you can't have this that she really stepped back and just let us go which is remarkable and i think that's why this feels so different than the rest of uh, the DreamWorks films, even ones that I've worked on that came before. Let's also introduce the governor, uh, Pierre. Would you like to describe her character? Yeah. So, and I think she's one of my favorite characters out of all the bunch. But uh, uh, so, yeah, we have a Fox character, and uh, she's uh, governor of the city, uh, of the city of the, of the state. Uh, and uh, incredibly, you know, uh, 
charismatic uh, character, very smart, you can tell, very witty. Uh, and she calls on to the bad guys, you know, these guys on a press conference, she calls on them and says, you know what, don't be afraid of these guys. They're like has-beens now. They're not. But what she's really doing is like dragging Wolf out of his cave and just like, okay, trying to capture them and just, you know, send them to jail. But she's playing on his ego. She's playing shows incredibly, incredibly smart character um, that has, you know, that we reveal later becomes kind of a little bit of a mentor to Mr. Wolf when Wolf is actually uh, deciding to change or wanting to change. Uh, she knows it because she's kind of went through the same kind of story. And so therefore she kind of, she, she's, she's smart enough and charismatic enough to know that she, um, she immediately feels who Wolf is, who Wolf is, uh, deep down and, and, and is able to really give him or give the whole group a second chance at life. And she guides him towards that better life that we were talking about earlier. Stop with being bad and become good. Well, Wolf meets the governor at um, a benefit at the museum where the bad guys show up to steal a trophy called the Golden Dolphin. Um, great scene. Uh, John, do you want to talk about how you cut that scene? Yeah, you know, it's really, uh, God, it was so much fun. We, The thing about cutting animation is that you uh, really collaborate with a storyboard artist, and the storyboard artist will do effectively the first cut of a scene because they'll give you wides and mediums and close-ups and the in the progression but typically the you don't just cut the boards and leave uh and then you go okay that's it that's the movie what ends up happening is, is you end up having to sit back watch that version and go oh you know that it's um paced a little bit faster we're getting to the uh, reveal of the dolphin a little bit too quickly and so I'll go back and work with uh, the storyboard artist, Catherine DeVries and uh, Matt Flynn on this particular scene. And I'll say, you know, hey, I, I really like how we do the split screen, but could we try to add this additional meter? Or I need a close-up here. Or in so you effectively get to the place where uh, if I were on a live action film, it would be like going in to the DP and saying, get me more coverage of this. And I want to cover this in a wide now rather than a close-up. And uh, the best part about cutting the heist is, is that we realized we have several heists in the film, and so we had to make sure that each one felt a little bit different. And then on top of that, we also had to comment on where the guys were in their emotional development. Where did they still think they were bad guys? Were they starting to change? And also, what was the karmic outcome of the chase? The first is a bank heist, and it's just a, basically a, a, sn a smash and grab and then a chase. The second one is an intricate Ocean's Eleven-style heist. And so um, it, it's really about pacing. You watch it and you go, how does this feel? Are we, you know, are we revealing things too quickly? Where are the, the, are there enough jokes? Are we, you know, are we raising the tension and then letting it down a little bit? Um and then also, anytime you're cutting storyboards, you also have to be aware of what it's going to look like in layout. So a layout is where we basically reshoot the movie, but now in CG using the CG sets, um, because JP and his team can't animate straight off of storyboards. There has to be, like, 
we might have this amazing shot that starts at the top of a building and then goes down and goes through the front doors and then up and JP will go, uh, you know, that's great, but you know, we're, we're going to be staring at all our characters crotches if you go in that direction. So you end up having to reorient everything and make sure that JP and his team have the acting space uh, in the physical space. I think I have to also talk about that scene. Um, because I think it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, one of. Um, and really early on, it was the first time Wolf and Diane meet. And we knew that this was a very important moment that will just launch everything that's gonna happen um, in the film and in their arcs. And I remember talking about this scene in particular with you, Pierre, and John, and pitching the idea of like, this is like a tennis match. And if you remember, we saw that whole scene as a tennis match. We saw that as, you know, Wolf is coming in with a persona or agenda and really quickly, is, you know, with the analogy serves the ball and Diane serves it right back. And he is not expecting that. And that was so much fun when we got into that sequence because Pierre just was really, really specific on the lines and why. So it was really easy for the animation team to really dive deep into the subtext between each character in the moment. And uh, I, mean, I mean that, and then just the finishing product, I think with the acting and then the editing and everything, it's just, I, it's one of my favorite scenes. And I love that you're asking that question because I'm like, yes, let's talk about that scene. I love that scene. <laughs> uh, what was incredible for the high scene is it was one of the very first sequence we actually storyboarded. Uh, Matt and Kat, Catherine actually storyboarded this sequence quite early on. And I kind of left them all the freedom to just come up with something. It was like, okay, they enter the museum. They need to steal the dolphin. The dolphin is behind the curtain on stage. Figure it out. Uh, and that's what they did. And they, they really took all the codes of uh, heist movies of this scale. And, and they went in, but just added that, you know, peppered in that, 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 that stupidity that kind of paves the whole film, you know, <laughs> uh, it was never to be taken seriously, obviously, but and really using the character's specificity and personality to really accomplish that heist. Very fun, very fun, very fun sequence to do. So I know John plays bass. When you were animating the band, was John reference footage? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, they would have been like, that guy is like a middle-aged dad band bassist. Uh, no, the, uh, Pierre, you, you, it was, there was one day we had the whole, pretty much the whole band thing completely figured out. Uh, and then Pierre walked in and said, look, I know we have to lock this thing on Monday, but this animator did this amazing band bass thing with snake playing the bass. Can we work it in? And I watched it and I was like, oh, absolutely. We have to work this in. Yeah, that was quite impressive. It's funny because I'd done sketches of, of, of snake kind of playing the guitar. A long time ago, and they, for some reason, Matt Flynn brought in the sequence, brought brought it back in, sketched that in, and storyboard sketch, and then Ravi took that. Ravi's our animator, and he was like inspired by it and decided to uh, do a test with a uh, snake playing the bass. And on his own, so, by the way, on, on his, his own. own, it was, and it was not it, a simple it, test. It's a snake playing a guitar. Like that's all you need to know to be like, I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? And I just want to give a lot of credit to Ravi because like, oh, let me just try a pose. And that was all he was going to do. And then he comes with like this full animation 
of this crazy, sophisticated, stupid snake playing the guitar. And to give Leron a lot of credit, he's like, dude, we have to put this in the film. We have to put this in the sequence. And then we pass it to you guys, and you guys are like, yep, we're going to have to add it in. And this was a very at the very end of animating the sequence. I mean, it was a very last-minute thing. But we just all knew it's like, ah, this is going to be a little bit of a headache trying to squeeze it in. But we all knew we had to do that because of just how ridiculous it looked. Yeah, and I have to say, this is why animation is amazing. Because if you if you were doing a live action show and someone came in with a great gag that would totally transform the scene, you would go, yeah, that's great. Save it for the sequel or go to Warner Brothers and get us $10 million and maybe we'll talk about it. We have all the sets and all the characters. And as long as I can fashion a new line out of existing dialogue, we can do anything. It's just a matter of finding the passion and being inspired. And this is this is what it's like to work for, I, and people don't realize that Pierre is a first time feature director. When you watch this movie, it really feels like the steady hand of someone who's directed so many features over the years. But Pierre was an, um, is, pardon me, not past tense, is an amazing <laughs> animator. Uh, and he, he had such a tight rapport with everyone at the studio. So then when he elevated to become a director, he had the advantage that most first time directors don't have. And that is deep and abiding love of his uh, collaborators. And that's why you had people going out of their way, like with me, like coming up with like new jokes in the room with him. Like normally you go, ha that's funny. I'll kind of keep that to myself. But because Pierre was soliciting from all of us, like, Look, I may not say yes, but please pitch it. And so that start to finish from editorial, story, animation, sound design, Julian Slater and his team, everyone was coming up with ideas and saying to Pierre, hey, how about this? And Pierre was so open. It's great. How did it feel to get to see it with an audience the other day? Oh my God! It's it's the joy, right? That's the that's what we all wanted and, and looked looked forward to. Uh, the same thing is super scary, but I think I think in our in deep in our hearts we know that the movies uh, is the one we wanted to make, and so we're you know releasing it like that's you know the, here's our baby kind of thing uh, with confidence and trust because it's like it's a honest product, you know, it's not something we we've not cheated you know, doing it, we were like, okay, this is what we wanted. This is what we've done. But we really did it for us as usual, you know, because you do your, those films for yourself kind of thing is like what makes you feel good. And I think we, uh, in that regard, I think all of us really love what we've done. Uh, and therefore there is no, now it's up to the rest of the world to like it or not. But, you know, I think in that sense, just watching it with an audience and when you see them react the way they did react, it was at the premiere was, I mean, the best feeling in the world, really. It definitely felt like a like a passion project for all of us, you know, um, going through some of the films that we've worked on here and, and some of the changes that have happened. I think this represented an amazing, you know, new start for us. And because it was so brand new, so different, I think all of us in every department just felt so energized of doing something new. And like John very well said, you know, Margie trusted that we were onto something and she trusted that um, we would deliver somehow and through COVID, by the way, uh, that came with all the other challenges. So I think seeing that movie on a big screen was 
you know, I think I talked about it yesterday at some point, you know, where it's, it's a very vulnerable position that we all are in, you know, as artists, you know, uh, when you do art, you, you have to be very vulnerable, you know, you're putting a lot of your inspiration and, and, and yourself in it. And I think because it's an, a, 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 a passion project and being lucky enough to work on, on a few of those, I, it's just, it's always nerve wracking because you're, you're, you're putting all yourself in that film. So whether they love it or hate it, that's us on screen and, you know, very nervous, but, uh, just hope they all enjoy it. Yeah, me too. I think it is remarkable to sit in an audience and have them get, and especially kids, you spend so much time going, our kids can understand this is a complex George Clooney, Steven Soderbergh-esque heist. Are they going to understand? And kids absolutely get what's going on. Kids understand like probably a, a hundred times more than we as parents really understand what they understand. So they get it. The Bad Guys opens on April 22nd. And if uh, for those in the audience who are attending the NAB show next week in Las Vegas, uh, I'll be moderating a conversation with Pierre and John where we'll be looking at some clips from the movie. Um, that's hosted by American Cinema Editors. So thank you to the wonderful Jenny McCormick. And um, if you're in Vegas, please join us for that. Um, Pierre, John, JP, thank you so much for joining us. Really great to talk to you about the film. It was a pleasure, Curly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks, for, for thanks for having us. us. See you in NAB then. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.